we're not going to do anything weird. We're not going to show up at your doorstep, your doorstep with pie or anything like that, unless you. I'm just trying it out. Uh, we we won't do that unless you really request it, and then we'll see. Dennis will bake you up one and show up at your house. Um. So, so we we really. I don't want the point to be lost here, but. Uh, the point is, we're really thrilled that you're here at One Chapel, and we want to connect with you. Really, what we'd like to do is we'd like to send you an email from Pastor Ross and just say, welcome, we're so glad you came to hang out. And also, if it's your first time, we've got the CD that's out there on the tables as you came in. We'd love to give you one of these. And can I just be really honest with you? It's just an excuse so that we can meet you and say hi. That's really what we want. And so Pastor Ross will be out there and some of the other guys and some of the women from the church just to meet you and welcome you. It's a great place just to run by, grab any food that might be left over, grab a cup of coffee, and just hang out and get to know some of the fine folks who are calling One Chapel their home family. So you can do that on your way out if you want. We'd love to give that to you. That is free. The CD is actually, it's a great CD. It's some of the music that Pastor Ross has recorded over the years with Integrity Music. And um, really, really great album. It's a little EP for you. We'd love to give it to you free of charge. Two things we want you to know about really quick. You know, when you plant a church, you kind of do things one at a time. You start the church, you start the kids' ministry, get things going, you're praying, you're working. And as, as you go further, you get to launch specific things as you move along. Well, tonight is one of those nights. Tonight we get to launch Square One. Square One is, yeah, Square One fans in the room. That's fantastic. Square One is the way that you get connected and start serving at One Chapel. Really, if you're looking around going, what do I do next? How do I get connected? Where do I plug in? This is the first step towards doing it. So you see, Square One's kind of the overall, but really it's a four-week growth track where you jump in on Church 101 to find out the story of the church and the vision and where we're going. Essentials 201 talks about what it means to really be a follower and a disciple of Jesus. 301 over here with the discovery helps you find out some of your gifts and talents. And then 401 is how you get connected to a connect group or to serving on team one and helping make all things one chapel work. So this is a great opportunity. Tonight it begins with Church 101. So tonight you will be able to sit with Pastor Ross and hear him tell the story of the church and how God orchestrated this whole thing here and bringing him to Austin. You'll get to ask some questions about the vision and philosophy. It'll be a great time. That's going to happen at the new One Chapel office that we've been able to connect with uh, Larry and Suzanne Foster. They're so incredible. We appreciate them so much. Dennis actually built this house for us. And uh, <laughs> that's probably my last joke on that, but I make no guarantees. Um, but Larry and Suzanne have opened up this uh, space they had for us where they've been officing and we get to office in there. It's such a blessing. And so you can come tonight and check that out too. So even if you don't really want to come to Church 101, just come and check out the office because it's in process right now, putting in carpet and putting up paint and all that. And you'll get to see where ministry is going to be happening as we're all connecting. And it's really a cool place to go hang out. So, but do it more for finding out about the church, really, but... You could do both, obviously. <laughs> oh, open house on the 17th. Okay, so mark that down, open house on the 17th of November, and we're going to open that up, and you'll be able to come and check that out. But do it tonight because you'll beat everybody to it, all right? 
But Church 101 is tonight. starts at 5.30 p.m. It's, uh, it's 3,800 Ben Garza, all right? 3,800 Ben Garza. That's Brody and Ben Garza. It's just behind the Lowe's on Brody, all right? So you can show up there tonight, 5.30, hang out, get to meet and connect. It's going to be a great opportunity, and it's exciting. It's legendary. It's epic because it's the first one, and you can say, I was there, all right? Uh, the only other thing I've got is something near and dear to my heart, and that is we are starting uh, to ramp up into student ministry here for One Chapel. Now, for me, I've been, yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, I, I've been a youth pastor at uh, the church that we came from in Colorado Springs for the past decade, and God has called me into student ministry long before that. And so I have devoted my life to it, and as I look around this church, we are blessed with incredible junior high and high school people. That, listen, there, there are a ton of them, and I, as I look around, I am amazed, and I want you to do this. I want you to start the practice of walking around and seeing all the potential that lies within them. That is my practice. There are many in our culture that walk around, and they look at them and go, oh, oh teenagers, so annoying. They get frustrated and upset, and I know moms and dads, you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I get that. But you know what? When I see them, I see the potential that lives. I see inside of them. I see this idea. Acts 13.36 is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It's this little verse that just kind of hides out. But it says that David served God's purpose in his own generation. And so it's that thing that we're going to be after as a student ministry here at One Chapel to help students find and fulfill God's specific purposes for them inside their own generation. It's going to be an incredible journey that we're going to go on, and we're going to start it this Wednesday night. So I am inviting, I'm calling out, I'm challenging every high school student to come and join me this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Darren and Lori Green's house. Um, I won't give you the address here, but you'll be able to pick that up online, on the website, on the blog, emails. We'll have all that available to you. But um, I want to challenge you and invite you to their house, Darren and Lori Green's house, this Wednesday night. Anybody 9 through 12, come hang out. We're going to get it started. And then next Sunday, a week from tonight, next Sunday night at the same house, we're going to gather together with everybody that's in 6th through 8th. 6th through 8th grade, we're going to do that at 5 o'clock. So high school is at that house on Wednesday at 7. Junior high is at that house on Sunday at 5. Everybody got that? So I'm calling you out. Everybody, if you know somebody, if you are that, if you think you're that, you probably shouldn't come, but... Uh, like, I'm young at heart. Well, okay. Uh, I, just, I just met with a whole bunch of incredible uh, people from One Chapel that have said, I want to help. I want to help. Adults, college kids, everybody, all ages saying, I want to help. I want to join in. I want to disciple young people. I want to grow this student ministry. I want to see Jesus impact high schools and junior high schools. I want to see incredible things happen in this city. I met with them this past Wednesday night, and we prayed, and we sought the Lord, and we got a plan together, and we got things moving. So we're going to ramp it up over the next couple months and drive into January when we're going to launch in full. We're going to watch Jesus do incredible things. You want to do that? <laughs> Me too. Okay, so... Let's pray, and uh, we'll get to the word this morning, all right? Lord Jesus, we love you, and we ask, Lord, that you would continue the work that you've already begun in our hearts. We want you to know how much we love you, how incredible you are, and this morning, we ask you to speak the word through Pastor Ross and drive it into our hearts. 
Holy Spirit, fill us and let our ears and our hearts be open specifically to what you want to say to us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. That's so good. There's so many great things going on. It's crazy how uh, at, in a church plant, you know, we've been going eight weeks now. It's our eight-week anniversary. <laughs> it's like a crazy thing. It's like you want everything to be done. Let me just tell you, if this is your first time here, this is not a full-service church. <laughs> But if you come, it might be able to be. I don't know. We'll see. So, um, but, but it's just one thing at a time. God grows his church. I, I have this suspicion that churches that grow a little bit at a time with relationships that grow a little bit at a time become really healthy over the long haul. And, uh, and after all, uh, church is not an organization that you belong to. It's an organism. It's a, it's a, li- it's a life-giving force that God is in, and as we join with it, as we connect to it, then God does great things in our lives, and so, um, so that's exciting, all that's happening around there. Are you ready to study the scripture? All right, get your Bible and get a little pad of note paper, uh, because I believe that you need to know your Bible, you need to read your Bible, you need to get a hold of it and get a little pen, and as we're going through the scriptures, you need to underline little places that look amazing to you, that illumination happens to you. It's a, it's a fantastic idea how the scripture says that all scripture is God-breathed, God-breathed, and what happens is God breathed it once into existence through his writers. He, by the Holy Spirit, breathed it, and they wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But then what happens when you read it is God breathes again. And he breathes into you, and you're like, wow, I've never seen that before. It's like been there. You've read it a hundred times, but you read it, and all of a sudden, it's brand new. That's what the hope is when we share the scriptures on a Sunday morning or when you share the scriptures in a, a, a small group, in a connect group. Um, the hope is that something happens, a revelation, illumination happens to you, and you have to have your Bible open and ready, pen in hand, with a little notepaper on the side, taking notes from the brilliant words that fall from the <laughs> speaker's mouth. No, really, the point, really, you know, you know what the point is? All this is is an opportunity for God to speak His words to you. There's so many conversations that go on on a Sunday morning service. The speaker giving the message and sharing the scriptures, just one of them. There's a lot of others. At least I count on it. So um, we're going we're gonna to study here a little bit. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We've been stu- studying uh, through a series called I Like Church. I Like Church. So many church plans start out with kind of a what's wrong with church mentality. Man, church is such a bummer. It's so lousy. Man, we need our church is going to be the best. I don't. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have that way of thinking. I grew up in church. I actually really have always liked church. I think it's a great place to be. I think it's a great place to meet people. When I was young, it was a great place to meet girls. And then I met the one. That's right. Um, and so, so I, I think it is a great place where, where, where people connect, where God does really powerful things in people. So I've always liked it. I've liked church all my life. I've loved the body of Christ. And I want us all to put these foundation stones in place. And these first few messages that we're sharing at one chapel, that we're putting the pieces in place that are going to hold the building together for a long time. And so uh, we've been talking about I Like Church. And we're currently, last week we, we spoke on... Um, 
on worship. And the title of the message was, I like church because it's wired for worship. It's wired for worship. And so uh, we didn't get through the whole message last week, and so we're going to finish it out this week. All right, are you ready? Luke chapter 19, verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. This is the triumphal entry. Jesus is entering Jerusalem on a donkey. And they say, they're saying in verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, psst, rebuke your disciples. They're out of control. They're saying crazy things. They're worshiping you like you're somebody. Religious people always get real uncomfortable when worship gets a little out of hand. Frankly, I don't want church to be perfectly designed for my emotional comfort. I would rather for there, be some, to, for there to be some mystery associated with it. I would rather there be some moment where God breaks in on the scene between song three and four if he could stick to our schedule. I would rather have a church where there's things going on that you couldn't really quite control. If you can control it all, then I'm not sure it's God doing it. So we see here the, the, the religious people, they're saying, um, Jesus, tell your disciples to stop. Tell your disciples, rebuke them, tell them to stop. He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The very stones. And what we talked about last week, just to review, is the incredible design that God has made the world with. The incredible wiring that goes on in creation. Jesus is saying here, there's a little secret, just a little peek behind the curtain of God's creation. And he's saying, look, the creation is wired this way. If you don't do it, the very inanimate objects will break open and begin to cry out in worship and praise to God. And we have to understand that we're wired this way, that God knows exactly how we're wired, and He designed us in a certain way, and then coached us, coached us with the Scriptures on how to worship Him well, how to worship Him well. And so you can listen to last week's message. It should be online soon. <laughs> Had some major biffs with the online sermon thing, so we'll, we're, we're getting it. It's happening. It's coming. And so, um, and so this is our starting point, and just to see that we're wired for worship, and we kind of went through and we began to talk about a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality. Do you remember this, those of you who were here last week? What is a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality? Well, it's anything that we do that is worship to God. It's, it includes the clapping of hands and the shouting and the singing, but it also includes the feeding the poor and the, and the hungry, caring for those who are in great need, visiting the prisoner. All those things mix our actions with our faith, and they put them together, and they become a powerful force. And so the way you're designed, you are designed to express worship to God. That's kind of the theme. You are designed to express worship to God. And you might say, oh, that's not really my temperament. I really don't have that kind of personality. Well, I, I, I still maintain the way the scriptures are written and the way they teach us. I want to continue to unpack it now and we continue to, to begin to talk about it. This week on Thursday night, uh, in the middle of the night, 
One of my sons, my uh, fourthborn, his name is Ethan. He is so great. He's never met a stranger. He is such a, a fun boy to be around. He's like, he's kind of like the, the like little Pinocchio, you know, like the boy who is just so nice. He's so happy in the cartoon. You know? Anyway, never mind. Anyway, he's so, he's so wonderful. Um, you know how that feeling, parents, when you, when you hear the screaming from the other room and in the middle of the night and you, you, it wakes you out of a dead sleep, you're like, <gasps> and then you wake up and you, you roll out of bed and you run into the other room, what's going on? And so we go in there and, you know, because he shares a room with his little brother, Owen. And so they've got bunk beds. And so they're in beds together and one of them wakes up and screams and the other one starts screaming just because he scared him to death. And so, well, the first one starts saying things that we can't understand. And then then Owen wakes up and he starts screaming, what's happening? I was sleeping and I don't know what's going on. (laughs) So about the time we come into the to the room, about the time I turn the, the, the corner and I see him, all of a sudden I hear this, <laughs> and I can hear it coming, and it, and it launches from the top bunk out into the room, over the railing that's there. It kind of drips down the railing, and he's crying, and it's like, <laughs> and then Owen is on the bottom, and he's going, oh, my eyes, my eyes, It was so disgusting. I was so mad. I wanted to punish someone. I wanted someone to get punished for this. Because in the middle of the night, I do not have time for this. I do not have time to clean up throw up in the middle of the night, to clean the carpets and to get wash the sheets and all the stuff. I don't have time for this. I'm planning a church, people. And I, it was so, it was so frustrating. And I, I, I remember having the little conversation. I mean, it's, I mean, it's kind of like, God, don't you know what I'm doing? Can't you keep this from happening? Can't you keep stuff like this from happening? Can't you make stuff like this stop? Why don't you? <laughs> Alas, the difficulties of life, we cannot always stop them. In fact, God tends to use them for His very purposes. It's crazy how He does that. I wish it was done a different way. (laughs) I mean, honestly, (laughs) this is not heaven. This is earth. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in... Yeah, as far as I know, that prayer is still good because of what's going on on the earth. There are things that happen to us that we don't like, things that happen to us that are frustrating. And that's why worship, when it comes down to it, this is where we are in the outline, worship is an expression of our faith. Worship is an expression of our faith. When we worship in the face of adversity, there's something powerful that goes on. Hebrews 11, 11, 6, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, if you want to turn there, Hebrews 11. Turn over there real quick. Hebrews 11, chapter 6. Some of you will know it because you've memorized it, but it says, And without faith, 
it is impossible. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those that come to Him must believe that He is, which means that He exists. If you look behind the meaning to that little word, what it means is, is He is who He says He is. He is who He says He is. That He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently or earnestly seek Him. Okay, so break it down with me. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we've got to have this. And, and the Scripture does say that to every person, there's been given a little, a small measure of faith. All you need is a little tiny bit. Jesus, all, Jesus said you just need as, as much faith as a mustard seed. And a mustard seed is super tiny. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. But those who come to Him, which I think is kind of our... Our, our, our picture of worship, those who come to Him must believe that He is who He says He is and that He is a rewarder, a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It strikes me that it's, even if you look at the very basic message of, the, of that little verse right there, there is a reward, but sometimes the reward doesn't come for a while. The reward hesitates. And so there is a seeking that is required. <laughs> there's a seeking, there's a diligence that is required. There's an earnestness that is required to seek Him before we realize the reward. And so when we praise God, when we engage in articulating, when we do what we did this morning, when we lift our voices and we begin to sing, many times you come in here and it is not the way you feel. Things are going on in your life. Things are going on in, in circumstances that are very difficult, very tough. And you come in here and they want you to sing, salvation is here and it lives in me. What's that line we were talking about earlier, Marty? It's going to be all right. And you're like, it is not going to be all right. There's a power in singing that and saying it and mingling it with faith that I think is a core value of a Christian life. It is, the, it is going to be a core value of one chapel. I think it's, the, it's one of the ideas that makes, uh, that stirs your faith, that makes us who we are as Christians. Turn over to Psalm uh, chapter 13, or chapter 13, yeah, Psalm 13. Turn over there with me in your Bibles. Psalm 13. What we have to recognize is that this experience is as old as the ages. This experience of being frustrated, of, of, of finding a way to find God in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our circumstances. Certainly, there are many issues greater than throw up from a bunk bed <laughs> that are more serious that we find ourselves in. Here is one of them, Psalm 13. Notice what it says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? <laughs> this is David. David was a musician. He was an artist. He was one of those creative types. But the Scripture says that he was a man after God's own heart. There was something that David got with God's heart. And I think this reveals part of what that is. The very honesty 
the gut-wrenching honesty that is required in a heart that has faith. There's a, there's a group of people within the church body in the Western world that forbids people even to mention the bad things that are going on because for fear that it will be a confession of some kind of uh, 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 a lack of faith. I, I actually don't think David understood that. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was pretty convinced that God had forgotten him forever. See, I, I think that's a distortion of an idea. When we say, when, we, when I hear from people like that, what I think in my mind is, that's not faith that you're talking about. That's magic. That's some kind of hocus pocus. If I say these words, then it'll happen to me. And if I can't say them, because then something will happen to me. Oh, no, that's not what we believe. We believe in a loving Heavenly Father who knows us, who, who holds our hearts, and who understands our pain and our, and our struggle, and who reaches down in the midst of our struggle, and identifies, everybody come with me, identifies with our suffering because His own Son suffered. There's something really powerful in that. So here we are in Psalm 13. He says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light into my eyes or I will sleep in death. He's so dramatic. <laughs> my enemy will say, I have overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. And then comes the incredible moment that you find in so many psalms, in so many of the scriptures, you find a but. Now, part of me just thinks David was, like, bipolar. <laughs> could be, could be, but he had a truth. He wrapped his heart and mind around a truth. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Wow, what, what happened to how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me? Are you going to sing that? <laughs> how long, O oh Lord... That's not a great song. He says, I will sing to the Lord for he has been, what? 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 What is this? There is faith here, but there is not a denial of reality. There is no denial of reality. It's so important that we understand how things are. There's no doubt that praise, this, this act of praise that David is, is engaging in, is an act of his will. An act of his will. Earlier on today, I, I opened the service with, praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me, bless his holy name. That's a command to your soul to praise the Lord, to worship God. In fact, the, the idea of praising God by your will, in other words, I will praise the Lord, occurs 21 times in the Psalms. I will praise the Lord because I know Him, I know who He is, and I believe Him. There's something there about it. Now, listen, now look at me. This is really important. The true essence of worship is found in the crisis, in the trying of our faith. For it is there that we decide whether or not we will trust Him. It is there, in that moment, that we decide 
whether or not we can really trust him. Because when, God, when it seems like God's handing out candy and presents and everything's great, that's easy. That's no problem. It is in the most, the most difficult moment where a worshiping heart is tested. If you, if you move over a few, a few chapters to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, just flip over there a couple, couple of pages. It's David again. And he's saying this, <laughs> more of his bipolar dynamics as he writes, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? <laughs> the Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. That's quite a ways from, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? He says, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Now, if you stop right there and you, and you look at it and you're going, wow, what is this? What, how, where does this come from in David? Where does it come from? I don't think you can read this chapter and finish there. Because the secret to what David is experiencing and what he's saying and what he's articulating is found in the next half. The strength for saying it, the revelation that comes, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Wasn't he just talking about conquering and devouring flesh? The secret to him fighting his enemies. The secret to the war that he was in was found in the hiding place. It was found here, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his holy temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling and he will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Now, as you read it, you think, okay, I get that. I can do that. I... I, I I worship God, I, I mix my, my faith with my actions, I turn my attention to Him. You can do this any time of the day. You don't have to wait to get to church to do this. That's one of the reasons why I believe in making resources like worship CDs, because I think part of the dynamic of reminding you who you are and what, where you come from and making sure that the, the hiding place, you know, that, that secret place... You carry it around with you all the time, and you can engage in it at any moment. And it, and it needs to be honest. It needs to be gut-wrenching. It needs to include both faith and reality. It needs to be able to say exactly who you are. Here's the problem. If Jesus is Lord over your entire life, all right? If Jesus is Lord over your entire life, then worship must necessarily include the full spectrum of emotions and experiences. Do you see that? Do you see how this works? I'm not talking about a people who just look into reality and, and, don't, and, and, and don't get it. I'm talking about a people who look into reality and know it as it is, can articulate it, can cry out to God, can reveal their innermost fears and doubts, but apply faith to it, but mix faith with it. Does that make sense? 
This is what I think the psalmists do. This is what I think they do in the New Testament when they're being challenged and persecuted for their faith. Turn over there with me to Acts chapter 16, famous story. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Are you guys, are you guys with me? Okay. There's, a, there's some really good stuff here we're, we're going to see here in just a moment. Verse 25, this is Paul and Silas, and they're, they're in jail. And they're in jail because they casted a demon out of a woman who was following them around day after day. But this woman was making money because she was a fortune teller. So as she was engaging in that occultic activity, it was tormenting her and making money for her owners. So Paul and Silas cast the demon out of her, and then the guy who, who, who was making money off of it got angry and turned him in. By the way, I do think that where we are in America is a wonderful... We've been blessed so dearly with what we've been given but I don't know that it will always be this way. In fact, my suspicion is, is that we too may be persecuted for helping people be free, for helping people discover their freedom. And you need to, you need, you know, we had, we had the, the uh, election this last week and Republicans, you know, swept the house and lots of Christians, woo, Republicans, listen. Politics is not the thing that's going to save the United States of America. Um, the only thing that will save us is turning, falling on our knees, crying out to the Lord. And that's probably going to take some work and energy. It is this way around the world right now. People are giving their lives every single day in some country in the Middle East or in, the, in, in Asia. They're giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. And uh, because we can meet publicly in a movie theater, that is a wonderful blessing and we should take advantage of it. But we should study and prepare and get ready because you don't know what's coming. I'm not a gloom and doom guy. <laughs> but I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I think, I think we need to be the kind of people that can worship in the moment of agony the worship in the moment of persecution. Here it is, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. <laughs> this is crazy. Okay, just stop right here. Just look at me. Okay, what? Okay, do you think that they were worshiping God and singing these hymns and praying because they thought they were going to get out? I don't think so. I think there was something deep within them, and the grace of God was breathing on them in the moment of persecution, in the moment of, of struggle, and He was giving them all that they needed, and they ex were experiencing it, and there was a revelation going on inside of them that they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> and we can't clean up, throw up. You see the problem. I'm trying to help you close the gap. 
Here it is. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that, found that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He knew that he would be killed. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Huh? <laughs> okay, first they're singing in jail. Sorry. And then they stay once the doors are opened. <laughs> the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Actually, crisis has a way of bringing people to Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I don't love that. <laughs> I don't think God really loves it, actually, but I think he wants to, he'll, he's willing to use it. So this guy, I don't know if he was just freaked out and scared to death, and he's like, tell me how to be saved from this, because this is a bad deal. Or if he realized, just like the rest of the people who were in jail, there was something going on with Paul and Silas that was totally different, something supernatural. We're all here, he says, the jailer called for lights, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that, hour, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his family were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Oh, this is what I really want us to be. I want us to be the kind of worshipers that will worship in the moment of crisis and tragedy, so much so that other people will see it and go, wow, something is different about that guy. I got to have that. Listen, evangelism is simply a byproduct of a great worshiping heart. Evangelism can never be a program. It can never be a project. Because if you have to convince people to get saved, it doesn't last. There has to be a revelation, and there's a revelation of this worship thing in a worshiping heart, and people see it, and they're like, wow, or they're freaked out totally, and they start persecuting you. That's, either, one is, either one is okay with me, because here's the thing. This is not my home. I know there's life, eternal life. There's life after the death that I'm going to experience here. And I've settled it. I've settled it so I can give my life away. I can give my life to the cause of Christ. I can give my life to just serving and loving people and giving them the message. Now, here's the problem. As people, as you're wrestling through it in your mind, you're thinking through, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, so they're in jail. What, how, does this, how does this work? Because some people, the hang up is, they say, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to be this hypocrite. I don't want to be this person that just, you know, is acting like everything's okay when it's not. I mean, these guys were in jail. How does that work? Well, here's, here's, here's the problem. And there's a lot of emphasis in modern-day church about authenticity and, you know, being real and being genuine and, you know, this honest thing. And I, I do believe in it. I, I want us to be that way. But I also think there's a misunderstanding of the definition of what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is not when your actions are inconsistent with your feelings. People, we have that every day. 
You got to take out the trash, don't you? Do you like taking out the trash? Do you have good feelings about taking out the trash? You don't always feel like taking out the trash. You don't feel like getting up and going to work in the morning, but you do. Why? Because you know you must. You know you must or you'll get fired. So he said, no, hypocrisy is not when your actions are inconsistent with your feelings. Hypocrisy is when your actions are inconsistent with your convictions, what you believe down deep on the inside. That is the definition of hypocrisy. And so this, this process of finding a place of worship when life is out of control, when everything is, is going wrong, when things are difficult, when everything's challenging, finding this place, here's what I believe. I think that worship is actually empowered by our emotions. It's empowered by our emotions. Some people believe you have to drain all your emotions out and just intellectually worship God. See, I think when Jesus said, love God with all your whole, <laughs> with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, he was including all the makeup of the whole person. It's not an intellectual worship. It's not a reasoning worship. It's not just emotional worship. It's not just physical worship. It's just not physical activity. It's everything together. And so worship is actually empowered by our emotions. And, and it's, I'm not talking about emotionalism. People could come to our church services and they could come in here and they could see you guys all raising your hands and some people jumping up and down. And they're like, man, that's just a bunch of emotionalism. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's not emotionalism. It's not emotionalism because what is emotionalism? Emotionalism is when all your actions are dictated by your emotions. Ah, emotion, emotionalism is when your actions are dictated by your emotions. What we're talking about is dictating to our emotions. What we're talking about is using the place, that bad place, that frustrating place, that very difficult crisis, and pouring your heart out to God and saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it this month. I don't have the money to pay the mortgage. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how to make this all work. But I know that you are my source, and I trust you, and you will take care of me. Help me to do the right thing. There's something really good about that. There's something about good about finding the place of worship no matter what. That's what I want to challenge you to do. When you come in here on Sunday mornings, bad day, fighting with the kids, whatever it is, find a place of worship from where you are. You don't have to go to somewhere where you're not. Start where you are. Start where David started. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me? <laughs> and then work your way through the honesty the openness, the love, the trust to, but I will sing to you. I will trust in your unfailing love. There's something really powerful about that, and I think that is the way you have to do it. You have to start from where you are. Psalm 42, if you turn over there, turn over there, and that'll be kind of one of our last scriptures. Psalm 42.
before we read that, I'm going to tell you a story. I come from a church called New Life Church in Colorado Springs, and we had the unfortunate experience of having a gunman who came onto our campus. And he came onto our campus a few years ago, and he uh, had a thousand rounds of ammunition on him, and came on our campus after church and started shooting people. And uh, two young teenage girls lost their lives that day. It was a it was a horror beyond horrors. I don't know I don't know how to describe it. I was upstairs in the pastor's office. And I was having lunch. Actually, Pastor Jack Hayford was there, if you know who he is. He, he's a well-known speaker, and he was there that day. And we were having lunch with him, and we were talking about something. And I remember the moment they burst through the door, uh, the pastor's secretary, and they said, we've got gunfire in the building. And I could see the look on their face. It was a look of terror. Immediately, I didn't stop. I didn't, I did not. I didn't stop for directions. I didn't stop to hear what the pastor wanted to do. I didn't stop to hear what Bishop Jack Hayford wanted to do, which might have been smart. But I just, it was like a parental instinct. Because my 13-year-old son was downstairs. And I didn't know if he was being shot. So the terror that strikes fear in, your, in a parent's heart I don't know how to describe that, but I remember running through the hallway and running through that hallway, hearing the shots below, pop, 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 pop. It was, it, it, it was and I was thinking to, my, in my, to myself, how am I going to get down from the second floor? How am I going to get down there without getting shot? <laughs> One of the few times in my life I've ever had to have that thought. <laughs> you know, you just don't normally have that thought. How am I going to get downstairs without getting shot? I wasn't in the military, so I wasn't used to that. And so, I, but I finally figured out the back, stairs, back, back staircase, really hardly anybody used it. And I went over there, and I got down, and, and it was so traumatic for me. It was so traumatic for me. My son, um, he was hiding behind a dumpster that in the rush of activity, everybody had left the building and they'd all hid behind there. And so I kept, he had a brand new cell phone that we had just bought him at, for his birthday, birthday at 13. And I was kept trying to get him and kept losing him and kept telling him, it was so stupid. I was like, you need to come to where I am. But I was right where the shooter was. So it was really dumb. Um, I needed to go where he was. So finally we got him picked up and we went home. Well, those two little girls, they, they, lost, they, they lost their lives that day. They went to heaven. There's no doubt that it was tragic. But I'll tell you this, those two little girls, they had already decided to uh, they'd already decided to give their life away to missions. And so they had already decided to lay their lives down. And so it, it was difficult as it was knowing them, the church got together for a Wednesday night meeting, and it was an incredible experience. I don't think I've ever been in a meeting like this. I hope I never am again. But we brought everybody together Wednesday after the shooting on Sunday. And it was, I didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't have much, we didn't, we didn't have much prepared because we didn't know exactly what to do. What do you do in a moment like that? And I opened that service 
was Psalm 42. And it was, it was um, I remember it was, like a, it was like a defining moment for our church. It was a defining moment of who we were and who we were going to be. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? For my tears have been my food day and night. And while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. And then these words, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope where it belongs. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. As Christians, we have to have a large view of who God is and what he's doing. We have to have an eternal perspective because if you don't, you will not have the strength in the moment of crisis, in the moment of fear, to be able to lift up and put your hope where it belongs, in the big picture, in the hands of Jesus. Now, we began singing, and we shared some words, and city dignitaries were there, and we sang a song called Overcome that had been written by one of the guys there at the church. And as we sang that song, I have never seen it. I've never witnessed it like this. People from the depths of their guts just worshiping Jesus in the midst of pain and tragedy and trial, wondering where God was. But this, the, what was happening in that moment as people began to sing those, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What, what, we began to, what began to happen in that room, what began to happen in our hearts was we began to put our hope in who God is, who He was, who He is, and who He will be. And as we began to do that, everything began to change. And what we decided was, the devil's not going to win. Now, God decided that a long time ago. We just had to remember it again. We had to recall that the devil is not going to win. While those girls are not with us, they are in such a better place, and that's okay. Grieving moms, and they're, they're grieving mom and dad, sitting just to my left every Sunday as I was leading worship and watching them worship God in the midst of it. There is nothing greater than that. There's nothing full of more full of conviction and faith than that. And I think when you do it, if you will be willing to turn your heart in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your difficulty, there may not be any way to fix it, you know, fix it like you want it, but what will happen is your heart, your life, your mind will be renewed and changed and you get His hope inside of you. That's what happens when you choose it. That's what happens when you choose this. He said, if, we, if we finish this little passage, he says, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. 
My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Notice this wrestling back and forth. This is the way it is, but this is the way I know you are, and so I'm going to trust you. He gets to verse 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Last thing I want to tell you. The very nature of worship is the humbling of self and the exalting of God. And in those moments when you don't feel like it, when you don't know what to do, when you're not sure, it is the humbling experience of being willing to say, I don't know, but I know you do, that makes the difference in your faith. So many pieces that we'll unlock as we go through life together as one chapel. Some of you We'll lose loved ones and we'll, we'll work together and we'll walk together and it'll be difficult and we'll, we'll encourage and comfort one another. Some of you will lose your job and you'll go through a difficult financial period and we'll walk with you and we'll unfold and un, uh, all the ideas related to it and how the earth and heaven and how everything works and stewardship and all that. All that is part of the deal and part of coaching one another and comforting one another. But this one thing I know is the first foundation. It is looking to Him. It is worshiping him in the face of that adversity. Putting your hope in him, no matter what, is what changes you and keeps you strong. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes and let's just take a moment to, uh, to consider what we've, what we've talked about and what Jesus is saying to you. Because he's calling you to himself. Because he knows how you're wired. He knows that he has grace for you. But sometimes we don't. He knows what you need. And many times it is the exact opposite of what you really want to do. Crazy as that is. And I think that is part of what, how we raise kids. That's part of how we... That's part of how we deal with our own children as fathers and mothers is we, we know what's best for them and we encourage them to engage in it even though they don't want to. And the father is saying, I want you, I want you to look up. I want you to open up. I want you to lift up your hand, your voice, your heart. And then let me work in you. Let me work on you. Let me show you the big picture. Let me help you see it. Let me help you understand. Let me comfort you. Let me encourage you. I sense that the Spirit of God just wants to encourage some of you here this morning. If you're at a very difficult moment, very difficult moment in your life and you don't, don't exactly know what to do and you're really struggling, struggling to keep your worship heart open, struggling to keep peace inside of you. I want you just to take a moment and I want you to acknowledge it before the Lord. Say, yeah, that's me. I, life isn't, it's not working right now. 
no matter what it is. If that's you, I just want you to take a moment. I want you to sort of lift up your hand and just say, yeah, God, that's me. I need you. I need to put my hope in God. Yep, I see it. See those hands? Up, yep, a whole bunch of you up here. Anybody else? Just don't hesitate. If you're, if you're arguing with yourself on whether or not you should, just do. Because <laughs> it's, a, it's a moment. It's like a, it's like a release. You're physically acting and you're saying, yes, God. <laughs> I want to open up to you. Now, here's something I'm going to ask you to do. Those of you who have your hands lifted, keep them up just for a second. And I want everybody else to open up your eyes. Open up your eyes. And I want you to look around. And I want you to reach over and touch the shoulder or the hand of the person who's near you who has their hand up. See, this is the body of Christ. This is the body of believers. And we can pray for one another. We can encourage one another and comfort one another. So let's pray for each other. Father, we thank you that we can be we can be here for each other. That we can be the family that you've called us to be. And I pray in the name of Jesus, in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the wondering, that you would show up. Reveal yourself. Let grace come into people's hearts and minds. Let strength and, and, and security rise up within them, not from themselves, but from the Holy Spirit that lives within them. Father, I pray that you would show yourself. Show them the big picture. Show them that they are in your hands. And even in the midst of the struggle, that they can make it. They can make it. They can make it. Father, we pray for your comfort and your healing. Yeah, it's happening all over the room. It's happening all over the room. Jesus is just breathing on you. He's breathing into your heart and breathing his peace and his comfort into your life. Just let him do it. Let him do it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Some of us are not where we want to be, but we know that you hold the key. You hold the answer. You hold the solution. And so we trust you. We choose you. We choose you above our circumstances. We choose you above all other things. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Put your hands down. and I just want to take one more moment and just ask if there's anybody here and you, you just feel like you've been far away from Jesus for a long time or maybe you've never accepted him as Savior and Lord. Maybe you've never chosen to follow him or you've never accepted him into your life and you're here this morning and you want to make a statement you want to make a declaration you feel that the, that the Lord is calling you you sense the presence of God around you and you know he's calling you back to himself he's saying come home your plan won't work anymore it wasn't a good plan follow my plan and you sense that and you want to say yes to Jesus here in this moment I just want you if you want to say yes to him for the first time or for the first time in a long time, just shoot your hand up in the air real quick. I want to pray with you. I won't ask you to come forward. I just want to pray with you. Yep, I see you. Anybody else? Yep, I see you. Let's all pray together. Everybody join with me and let's pray this prayer out loud, if you will, and let's pray it with conviction and faith. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his example. Suffering on the cross. 
demonstrating your love, identifying with our weakness, atoning for our sins, taking our place. Thank you for Jesus. I choose to follow Jesus. I reject my own way, the way I've been going, and I turn and follow you. Make me a new person. Forgive me of all my sins, all my failures. I choose you, none but Jesus. I receive you into my life. Thank you for your forgiveness. Now let me just pray over you. Father, thank you that you are forgiving, you are healing, you are strengthening, you are delivering, you are sharing your supernatural strength and power here even now. You're welcoming people into your family and into the kingdom, and we're so grateful for that. Father, this is what we're about, and we want to follow after you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. Help us to live this way. Help us to worship you in the moment, the tragic, difficult moment, to look to you and not to ourselves, not to others. Help us to follow you each and every day. Help us to live our lives totally laid down, completely given over to you. Remind us each day this week that there are hurting people around us, that if we'll worship you, if we'll live our lives in a way that honors you, they will see it and they'll be curious. Help us to remember that so that we can be the people you've called us to be. We love you and we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's good. Good stuff. That's good. We're gonna, last thing we're going to do for worship is we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. And so if you'd like to get prepared for that, one of the most important things that I think we can do to demonstrate our commitment, our love for Christ is to make sure that we are sharing what we have with others. And so we believe in the tithe. We believe in, uh, we believe in giving to the Lord and giving to the local church. We don't expect you, if you're first time here, we don't expect you to give, but we believe that this is part of our responsibility as one chapel to give of our finances as a message, as a, as a, as a way of saying, God, it all belongs to you. And we're going to set aside 10% for your church, for your people, and for the kingdom to be built in this city and around the world. And so this is why we give. And so if you have, um, if you have this connection card and Jesus did something really cool in your life, this is your opportunity to put it in the basket as it goes by. And so there's a little box there. If you've committed your life to Christ, I would love for you to fill one of those out and just mark that box, put it in the offering or put it in one of these boxes over here and we'll help you with next steps. Would love to do that. Um, so let's pray over the offering and let's worship. Everybody stand up. Let's, let's get prepared to worship God with our tithes and offerings. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, your mercy. Thank you for your comfort. Thank you for your strength. We love you, and we express it now by giving our tithes and offerings and worshiping you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Turn it.
be in the same place at our new offices. All right, God bless you guys. Have a great day.
have to give up because I heard you say there's gonna be brighter days. There's gonna be brighter days. I won't stop. I'll keep my head up. No, I'm not here to stay. There's gonna be brighter days. There's gonna be brighter days. I just might bend, but I won't break. As long as I can see your face. 